field, and at that point, I made policies to try to promote. I mean, a lot of our community members are often thinking about MBA, MPP, MBA, yeah. both of them. How did you decide whether to study business or policy? So I think, uh, uh, so I initially, I think for me it was much more practical reason. The uh, HBS had an early admit program, Kennedy School doesn't. Um, that was the reason I did it. Uh, retro, I think one of the things that a lot of people should be aware of, there are a lot of dual degrees which are worth exploring. Um, I personally didn't pursue one because by the time I was actually going through my MBA, I was pretty sure my career would be in business. I worked in social enterprise, so I actually got on a very broad perspective and then for me it had become clear that business is what I found interesting. But joint degrees are absolutely worth considering and people should be very aware of joint degrees. They're, they're very, they can make a lot of career sense for a lot of people. Now tell me about your undergrad years. Yes. Yes. Do does everyone know what a two plus two program is? Yeah. All of you do. Wow, what an undergrad class. But like, you know, how was college like? Did you already structure or did not structure your four years? I did not structure my four years. Uh, it was uh, uh, at that point. Uh, so India has had very few two plus two admits. Um, even now, it's not a very high number. My year was probably the largest. It was four or five, probably. Uh, so it was not. It was, it was more like a moonshot. We just did it, and you probably mostly didn't get in. Which is why I didn't structure my career around it. In retrospect, what like the choices I made ended up being very relevant for others. So they often want, um, you know, there is an engineering background that is helpful in applying. Uh, there is, I did a lot of debating, which was naturally helpful. I did a lot of community engagement. I ran the membership program at IIT. I was also involved with a not-for-profit uh, mentoring medical students uh, in math and science. So to be honest, in my case, I didn't plan it. It ended up being a lot of things that appealed to Harvard. Uh, I know subsequently a lot of people did try planning it. I, at least in the undergrad years, I have not seen it. I think Lucas was also a bit of a nobody knows why somebody got it. Because in India, the selection rate has typically been very low. So it's kind of hard to see what the pattern there is. But I think it's almost declining to one or two for the last few years. Right, right. No, that's, that's really interesting. We'll come back, come back to it. But Michal here is also an HBS student. So, uh, tell me, Vishal, what, how much of it was serendipity and how much of it was planned? So, um, so I actually started law school, I graduated from law school in Sonipat and Jindal last year. Um, I, so, up until my third year, I was understand Shawward in law. In my third year, I started considering, um, you know, oh, maybe I want to do business, I want to do an MBA. Right? So, I worked, I done an internship in BC, which is when I started thinking, you know, I'm enjoying this a lot more in law. And on campus, I used to work for a research center that was um, centered around entrepreneurship. And over there, I started a couple of things which I was really enjoying. And, um, you know, with my understanding, I started talking to lawyers who had done um, an MBA. And my understanding was that I need to do a couple of years in corporate law, probably MBA, trying to be, do that, then apply, um, you know, for the MBA for five years into it. And then I happened to meet someone uh, in Bombay, which is where I'm from, in, from my school who had applied for two plus two in the year before. And he was like, oh, you should definitely check this out. I never heard of the program. And this was the beginning of my final year. So I had some time, I um, you know, five, six months to do the application and everything. And that's what I thought, okay, you know, this sounds really interesting. Um, and like Amitasha was saying, you know, it's sort of, you never know what you really get somebody to do plus two, the acceptance rates are, you know, really random as well. So I thought, you know, it's worth a shot, there's nothing really to lose, I'm still in college, it's not like I have to do anything. 
special for it except for the GMAT. Um, so it did talk about sort of randomly on us. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an interesting program. I think having that um, admissions job has been over a year. So you know, having that sort of secure or whatever, it makes it a lot easier to now plan my career. Accordingly, as opposed to being stuck in law for four or five years, not 100% happy, um, and then thinking about, okay, now I should apply to school. So, so far we've discussed two lessons stand out, right? Planning, or like, you know, like, it's not a movie that you can orchestrate. Like, it's not a script that you can copy. So don't try to copy Amilashas Azar. There's some common lessons that you might take uh, away. One of which, from Vishal's story, you realize when you read me, is that there were 10 internships over five, five, over five years, and not exactly all of them were planned one after the other. There was a concrete goal of serendipity, there was like a decent amount of work done there, and hence the entry made some sense. Typically, when a person is applying without it, without HDM, we normally discourage it and it's proven otherwise. So, you should have more experience, especially when you're applying for an elite program outside. Unless you can demonstrate otherwise, and you have the maturity uh, to, you know, uh, to stand out. That's usually not the case, hence maybe the, the admission is not low. But you know, like later, when you do Q&A, you should ask them that. When did you start diving deeper into it, and feel free to jump in anytime. Now we have two very interesting people who had some experience before applying. So let's come to Shreya, who recently returned from London. Yeah. And we're uh, okay. truly grateful because I know you just love Thank you yeah. very much for the talk. <laughs> but tell us your idea story. When you met him, when, how many people surrendered to me, how many people surrendered to me? Yeah, so I'm, uh, yes, I'm heading to London Business School, uh, starting in August. Um, so yeah, I just came here and had a pain and went so I think for me, I always knew uh, during my undergrad that this is what I want to do. It has to be MBA for me. Um, yeah, so it was more like a childhood dream and I didn't put too much logic behind it. I think just intuitively I always knew this is what I want to do. Uh, and everything that I've done after that has always been like even like the job I took and every move I made with the job it was just so that, you know, if you look good on my CV, I can talk about it so that I can get my um, so that was my always like not start and everything I did was orchestrated to achieve that goal. So yeah, after after Stevens I did five years in a reinsurance company. It's called Swiss Reinsurance, reinsurance insurance companies. Uh, they came to campus, yeah, it's very niche uh, model, but very interesting campus. But they came to campus, I got into the international graduates program. Um, yeah, and after that I got two promotions within the job I mean I really tried to create them for myself so that I really would go on my CV for the application. Um, and yeah, just last year I applied for the B school. I think it turned out to be much tougher than I had thought. I really underestimated the because yeah, GMAT is, is one part of it, like the academics. But I think I really underestimated the networking part of it. Um, when I went there, uh, I actually went to London last year just to meet them. Uh, to get a sense of, uh, you know, this is my application, what do you want me to do? So to, just to get feedback. And she told me that, I mean, I met the head of recruitment over there. So you have to plan this out, but it, it's okay, like it's easy to do that because they have these open sessions, a lot of these things have open sessions. You don't necessarily have to travel to London. I think I was just way too eager uh, because, you know, my family lives in London. So I just have LBS as my dream. Um, I didn't consider any other but you don't have to necessarily travel. They have these MBA open sessions in Delhi, Bombay, anywhere you want to attend. 
she told me the head of recruitment said it would also help, like in addition to everything else that you've got, uh, it also help to really get an informal letter of recommendation from somebody who's been at LPS. And then really just started by, I was just one month away from the admission deadline, and that's where I really thought it was way tougher than I thought because I was not part of Network Catherine at the moment. I to really fish out people, you know, who were alums from my college and school and who went to LPS. Then put a meeting with them. I, I was working in Sydney and Bangalore. When I came to Delhi, just for the meeting, got that letter and went back. So yeah, I would I would just say that it was much tougher than I thought, but yeah, it was better as well. You had five million students when you applied. Yes. Four and a half when I applied, and then when I by the time I ended. So you see, Amulash and Vishal, one kind of story. She had a very different kind of story. But I would say from the recruitment standpoint, especially conventional recruitment, having some work experience like this is considered no work. So like this five years of specifically when she applies to say a McKinsey or BCP or B, they will take it seriously, especially if it's tangible work. For many, like for many startups and all they may or may not like be very good for that they have experience about it. The natural job doesn't matter. Because look, MBAs needs to that towards an end. Then you can do every individual model here. You want something in here. Yeah. So some model of the skills like this. Alik had another story. So Alik, why MBAs and where are you going? Yeah, so for me, uh, it wasn't as intuitive as you. Okay. In the sense, I didn't know that uh, I'll be going and doing an MBA. Um, so I'm from IIT and he also uh, a couple of years junior to Akasha and involved in many of the same activities. And soon I figured out <coughs> it's not that I didn't like engineering, but I only like bits of it um, which uh, I like a lot. So for example, control theory or computer application, uh, some courses in computer, uh, computer science and engineering, I really enjoy. And I uh, wanted to innovate on my own or to start things on my own. So I joined a fellowship which uh, allowed you that kind of uh, latitude and it still continues, it's called the International Innovation Board, it's the University of Chicago Fellowship. Uh, but now it's more of a consulting model. In my year it was more of an entrepreneurship model. So you were <coughs> in a public sector unit, um, you were directly advising the chairman and you sort of had to build up your own building. So I thought that's a good way to uh, innovate but also have a structure behind me, have a good salary, also explores a little bit in my first year right after college. So all those factors were, were playing in my head. Um, and post that I did a startup, which didn't work out. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to stay connected to the innovation space while maintaining, you know, a risk profile that I could actually work with. So I can't, I can't keep on, you know, doing a startup and not have enough in the in the bank. So I, therefore, uh, <clears throat> I, I got this opportunity to work directly with uh, uh, Mr. Amitabh Khan, the CEO of NTI, and I took that because I knew that NTI was doing a lot of work uh, in terms of just. Uh, national policy making, but also uh, attuned towards startups and attuned towards technology, right? and they wanted to build up their whole technology work. So that was a very uh, unique thing. And soon after I joined, I realized that to actually make an impact, you need to understand the story from both sides. So one part of the story will be you acting from the government side, meeting everyone, and understanding where the problems are, right? And the other part of the story is actually getting into the midst of trying to solve those problems, right? So that's what we need to enable because I think in the future as well, uh, more market forces are going to dominate in this country. And you know, you need you need to you need to uh, have uh, 
you need to have government uh, play the role of uh, you know, people and I don't want to get into that debate but I think uh, you know these forces are even becoming more important in the social sector. So it's more important to learn that, learn data driven policy making and the thing that you need to do uh, was the variety of choices that they offer. And that's something that, so I think there are two models to uh, most MBA programs will apply to. One is a cohort model, right? And the other is more of a choice based model. So I think HBS has a cohort model as far as I'm aware. And the benefit of that is that you get to do everything with your classmates with very strong networks. And that's what IIT Delhi was like for me. IIT Delhi has a bunch of hostels and you stay in one hostel for four years. So you make a lot of political networks and, and, and lateral networks and, and very powerful friendships, right? So um, I, I like that. But what I did not like was the inability to choose so much about, you know, which forces I wanted to take and I did not want to. So I did not want to take thermodynamics, but I had to do it, and uh, like I mean, I had to pass it. So that was very frustrating uh, because uh, I would have rather spent that time on something else where I felt that I would use it later in my career. So who treats you more like uh, more, more, more more like I mean, everything is choice based. So apart from your lead course, which is uh, leadership <coughs> development, you can choose your entire path in your MBA. Take courses which are slightly away from your field. Because I think in an MBA it's more about also uh, I want those two years to sort of uh, synthesize all the learnings that have happened but have not been made explicit. So you learn a lot by doing things but you don't necessarily synthesize them into, into general, general patterns that you can use in the future. So I think an MBA gives you that space uh, and, and so that's why I mean all those combined, that's why I think yeah. uh, um, So Abhinash, what, like, what was B-School really like? Um, so I think for me it was, so there was a couple of, you know, I was in three categories of realization for me. Um, first was um, international, right? Uh, it's actually very different doing um, an education uh, in the US as compared to India. I started at IIT, which had a few courses which may have prepared me for what was to come, but it was, it was very different. HBS uh, uh, in particular has a case-driven model where you discuss cases, there's a lot of 50% of your grade is on class participation. Um, that way, part came more naturally to me, I've been debating for many years before that, but uh, just the degree of writing, uh, just like sharpening those skills and just having a point of view and being able to back upon it, was something that it was very interesting to learn in a very multicultural classroom, uh, so that was one dimension of it. Uh, the second was that I had had very, uh, so I worked in a startup in the education space before this, so I had very focused experience and I wanted to diversify, which is actually quite different from a, a reason why a lot of people get MBA because they've actually often done consulting or investment banking, which is broader and they want to go narrower. But I think MBA supports both, it just depends on how you structure what you're doing. Um, so I tried, like, uh, you know, contrary to a lot of very different advice, I tried very different things. I tried finance, entrepreneurship, life sciences, which is where my current career is in. Um, so that was the second dimension uh, that I, you know, found really interesting. That for me, uh, I am, by the way, it was not completely unstructured uh, exploration that can be challenging that could potentially have very significant outsides. I had a few hypotheses that I was testing out. And um, so the HBS helps that because the first year is it's called required curriculum. You have to do everything they ask you to do. 
The second year is elective curriculum. So you choose all your courses and that's where the first year allowed me to dabble, you know, get some perspective. And the second year I was able to test a lot of my hypotheses out. My current career shift was like very much linked to that um, you know, as well. The third thing I think a lot of very few people talk about this is city. Um, so it faces in Boston. Um, Boston is also like the hub of colleges. Um, I spent a lot of time at MIT, spent a lot of time at the Kennedy School, spent a lot of time in the Boston ecosystem. Um, and that really shaped what I did. I currently worked in a startup that's using a written AI driven platform for early stage research in a pharmaceutical company, so AI for drug discovery. And a lot of that shift was was, was driven partially by HBS, but also was like driven by the city I lived in. Um, so I think those were the three things that I always found very like the city part I would not expect it at all. But cities have characters, Boston definitely has one. So from this part, you should look at the fit is really important for business. For example, the case method that I'm actually spoke about, some people really, really struggle with it. You want to guess who? Who really struggled with the famous person in India? Brother Nokia. The former CEO of Nikkei. So if you read his autobiography, but he describes in great detail why people or at least professors don't think that you have such great ideas, but somehow you never speak in class. And if you don't speak in class, you don't get class participation. You don't get class participation. Or your grades go down to the he was just like, he was just uncomfortable speaking in the books. Like he doesn't, in the book he doesn't say it very clearly when he was an introvert or something. But he was alluding to it, was my yeah. So maybe you should pick your school as Ali would have said, cohort method of expert provider. But in the second year, Raja Krishna Gozer explains how, with the help of his professor, he started speaking in class. And then that professor recommended him to McKinsey after he was rejected. And then, you know, so, so the story here is that unless you have people who can really vouch for like another class, professor who has a degree, is great, eventually you have to get a second shot to McKinsey, and he let McKinsey For you, that's also a subtle aspect of business. The kind of uh, meaningful bonds that you build, whether it's friends or professors, I'm sure we yeah. come to that as well, is super important. I know Adin, you already know some professors at both, so you want to talk some, some, a bit about what you've worked with them before. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, my fellowship team was with Chicago Fellowship. The professor founded it, Dr. Anupanai, got a chance to work with him on various uh, and other things, both at IIC but also later. So, for example, uh, you know, he works at the intersection of uh, blockchain, economics, and how it works. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff just by talking to him and reflecting uh, on some hypotheses you have that you can just begin to this. I mean, and it's humbling because a lot of the stuff that you thought you would have thought uh, is originally being the start of the moment. You'd say that, oh, that's already been done, and uh, okay, fine. So then maybe something else. So I think it's important, uh, as you rightly pointed out, to have backers, uh, and I think that's something that you should think about in your career as well. I mean, of course, there will be recommenders, but uh, if I ask, if I perform the 360, and no one will, but if someone were to do that, uh, 360 degree evaluation, right? If people ask about you, uh, what would they say? Um, and that's not necessarily how you plan out your own career. I'm not saying, like, do your job thinking that you're lost by anyone. But just know that, know that there will be, that you need to have backers. 
apart from your recommenders, who can speak for your work in the future? Just one thing, there's my ex-boss was from Harvard, uh, which provided me a lot of perspective going into what I was getting into. Uh, I think the best thing he did for me was tell me every reason I could take it. It's very important to know that um, business schools are a lot about faith. I, I know for a fact there are some schools I would even visit. I also knew people who were different than Harvard. So it's not just like the structure, the curriculum, the type of people it attracts. Um, and this is all evolving, so it's, it's, like, it's very important to do it. He had dropped out of Harvard, so I kind of knew every reason why I shouldn't go. And also how the demographic had shifted. So Harvard had had a significant shift in the last five, six years. Uh, before that, it might have been as miserable. Do you mind asking me a question? Who were your referees? In, was that one of us? Yeah, so I had, uh, so my, uh, so I had applied when I was in final year of college. Uh, the, the work that I did, the not for profit, which became a startup, he was one of the persons I worked with. So he was ex Harvard, which, which helps, by the way. Your recommender was from the same school, helps a lot. Uh, and. Uh, they, they don't They don't really. <laughs> I mean, like, they don't care. Yeah. He got them. Yeah. And uh, the second person was a professor, but that was usually uh, there. And then the third recommended to me to be with a guru, but the two plus two you to recommendations in college. And then the third recommendation comes in only before you join, uh, who is another of mine. But then that's not a decision making. That's not, that's just like finish up the finish paperwork. Up. Yeah. Look, so the key quality, and I'm going to ask each of them about their referee, but like from what Ali said, and then Ali that's it. You know, the referee, the reason that they ask for the referee, basically they want to know, is there one or two or three people who can literally vouch for you without a batting line? Like, they need to make a case for it. And if it is feeling that she's a leader, he's a spokesperson, you will not get it. Anyway, if your letter of recommendation is a bunch of buzzwords, you will not get it. Unless and until that letter of recommendation is author is what after all. So I'm removing extreme celebrities from the case. By the way, you'll be surprised they, like some people do get better the recommendation from, from massive celebrities. <laughs> For example, one person one person network captain got a recommendation from Katie Tech. Because that person worked very, very, very good. But usually for mere models that usually doesn't happen. That person needs to make a case for Like, are you comfortable to talk about your efforts? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I was doing this my time box, so obviously I have to as soon as I join the organization, you build up your credibility to do your work. That's, I think, something that anyone who's in the professional sector would understand. You try to do your work, uh, uh, you know, you try to approach it uh, not just in terms of what's being told, but in terms of how that work will really help the organization in the long term. And that's what, if you're, if you're, if you're definitely as a leader of that organization, and they feel empowered by the work you're, you're doing, then they're more likely to provide uh, to <coughs> Uh, the other recommender, of course, was again someone uh, I got an option to work closely with, uh, was, uh, I mentioned, uh, uh, Dr. Malani. And the reason was that in the first year of the fellowship, he was the founder, and it was the first inaugural year. So, therefore, it was, uh, there was a lot of like um, feeding issues in terms of how do you even manage a team, how, how is it embedded in a government organization, what's the status. And so, uh, I, I sort of went the extra mile to start to try and help with that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got that particular recommendation. Uh, and what happens is that you need to have specific examples, uh, which, which is something that uh, as soon as you guys get to, get to write in your application, you'll un you understand. It's where, where the recommender talks about. So if the recommender is only seen from afar, like if the recommender is the boss of your boss of your boss, 
and he knows that oh this is a private trade, he's doing a lot of good work. That won't do. Right? Because they will they will have no examples where they will speak about an, a situation where you were there and you tangibly made an impact and without you something would have gone south, or without you would have just remained status quo and that really really wouldn't have happened. So so somebody has to uh, really work with you and that person has to be recommended. I don't think in my case it worked out that the recommender was also someone who was well known. But I don't think that's the biggest factor at all. Yeah, uh, from all of my all of the people that I know have gone to great schools, it's really been a person who really knows them and can can, can write in detail about it. That is that is the rule of thumb of right? so also basically when I went when I met a celebrity, I met a globally recognized celebrity on TV every day. Yes. So some people call out to go get a celebrity, but most of us won't. So it's important to have a little back to you who will write the story and not somebody just casually knows off that does not work fast. So Michal, who referred to the audience to so, um, I met, again, since I've had my final year of university, I had two people from the university itself. Um, one was the vice chancellor of the university. So Jindal, when I joined five, six years ago, was a very small university, so everyone knew everyone. We were in close contact with all the professors, we see everyone. Um, last year, he interviewed me for a couple of things. So there was a, Jindal has a startup in Supreme Court of Hawaii for an internship and he was um, the final interview was the VC and he interviewed me for that and we got chatted after it and he had actually come to Hawaii when the internship was going on and I spent some time with him over there. Um, so we I spent quite a bit of time with him. He also um, he was a road scholar and he did a Harvard law. But um, I thought that to help plus the fact that he knew me last year. Um, when I got into Jindal, I got into a couple of the other national law schools as well and at that time Jindal didn't have best reputation at all, um, not really much alumni. So I gone out to see the campus and when I went there I met him and he was um, he was just chatting about what exactly I was looking for from the law school, um, especially you know, coming to Sony Partners and the Dale and just generally what his vision for the um, university was and we so, you know, I've known him since actually before I wrote that just that as well. The second um, recommendation I got from my professor who ran my entrepreneurship center. So, he started the cell, he's from the US, he started the cell in the second year of university, and I worked with him throughout. And he's like, I just him as well. And, um, we were we still do a couple of things together. So, we got really close. And, like I was saying, I think what um, so he showed me the recommendation after he submitted it, he sent it to me. And there was one part I was reading where he so I, I had no recollection of this memory, um, of this instance, but he basically had, right at the beginning, he had given me some negative feedback and he wrote about how I responded to that feedback. And this is something I, I didn't remember at all, but I definitely think that would have made a difference because it definitely shows how well he knows me um, and also just generally, you know, how much time we spend together. We also worked on a lot of things together as I spent four years doing that mainly in college. So I think that was very helpful, you know, regardless of, I mean, there were a lot of professors at Jindal who had gone to Harvard, who had taught me and all of that, but I thought, you know, no one on campus, especially the professor, knew, knew me better than he did, and I thought that would make a huge difference. Yeah, so for me, it was uh, one that was my ex-boss. Uh, he was the managing director of the India office, and I worked with him one-to-one -one because I was the strategy associate to him. And the other was the global head of my uh, international graduates program when I was in Zurich. Uh, so I thought it was a good mix because I had one lady from Switzerland and one, I mean, not, not putting a gender mix, but then one person from 
so it's a little one from India. And then also I think uh, the group ahead of the grads program was talking more about when I just entered after college. So she was talking more about my initial one to two years and it was more academic because at that time we were doing more presentations, papers, etc. And then the MD talked more about um, you know what I did uh, in my year three, year four, how I developed my businesses. So I think it was, you know, it didn't look like it was like uh, like a copy paste, you know, both of them. They both talked about very distinct experiences. I think one thing which really helped me was uh, the MD. Uh, he was very forthcoming and he actually sat with me. We had a one-hour session and we really talked about, he gave me a lot of ideas that you, you have not put in these kind of things which will, you know, look really good. And I think it's a lot about storytelling. So uh, in your application, you know, you have to really balance out, you have your essay, you have your CV, and you have your recommendation letters and space is very restricted, at least for LBS. I think NCR has 10 essays, but we had just two with 500 words each and you have to put in as much as you can show different uh, experiences. So whatever I could not fit into my essays, I told, you know, I wrote in this letter and then he kind of, you know, added more to it. So I think you have to use that space very wisely and uh, I think we'll come to that, but just very quickly, you should be, you know, looking at different criteria which should definitely go in there. Maybe it's covered by your recommendation and your own uh, essay, but it should talk about your work your development uh, growth tra uh, trajectory that you've had in your work, of course your academics, um, and then you know, I think international experience, uh, at least I thought was very important for LBS. I, I don't know about yeah. others. Many of these schools don't really care some do a lot. Um, then I would say uh, leadership potential, uh, which I struggled a bit with because I wasn't really uh, you know, managing a team or people. So I had to show different projects which I was leading and uh, different things that become elsewhere. Uh, and I think the social impact can also help. So I ended up doing a lot of CSR initiatives in Kenya uh, through my phone, in my final year. Again, it was just to get uh, an yeah. Are we going to advise you? Sorry, just came from that. So that was the initial motivation, yeah. but obviously I didn't enjoy that way. Yeah. How many regular essays? So this was uh, the HBS essay structure has changed. It used to be uh, four essays at like 500, 600 words. Um, so that was like pretty brutal. And uh, I think a lot of it was like, I, I, the first thing I did was I didn't see anyone else's essays, I didn't see anything else till I wrote this stuff down. But otherwise you can get very influenced um, and you can get too guarded down with it. So I had a very, so again, my, uh, one of my recommenders would be my ex-boss, that he talked me through it. So he's like, talk to me about it. I do better when I speak than I write. Right? So I, my, I know my natural strength. <coughs> So I actually recorded myself a lot. Um, I recorded what I was saying because I was speaking more freely. And then I heard myself back and started writing. Um, I didn't even consider about the word limit initially because it sort of starts like stifling your ideas. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote pretty unbound initially. Uh, and then I started like, you know, stepping back and taking a very mistake and what is it that I'm trying to communicate. Um, so that was like one really important uh, dimension of this. Uh, mine was also a bit unusual because I didn't use any coach. Um, I didn't have, like, you know, nowadays you have almost everyone uses a coach, so I haven't used a coach. Um, I had specifically, like, uh, I was again trying to hit a certain, you know, few themes which I felt like my experience had, like, sort of had and which I knew how I would like. So I was trying to, like, balance the two. 
Um, and I was also trying to, uh, so, so there was the, so there was the writing process, which started from speaking and writing uh, very un, you know, un, uh, not so clear by working it and getting to work from it. I think one thing I do a lot of people's essays and people get wrong is they forget what the broader picture is. If they write three or four essays, it doesn't seem to be talking about the same person. Like, if, if like you start like, it just seems very manufactured after a point and I'm like, so what is your story? Like after like, if you talk about, especially if you have marketing essays, you should be very careful. But it's not just your essays, it's like, like you know, there are so many different dimensions to it. It can be stuff like your recommendation, your CV. They need to have a story done to it. Yeah, and if you don't have that, I think that for me has been the most like common reason I've seen applications fall apart. <coughs> Each of them like mutually seem to make sense, but together make no sense. I think just to add one point to it, I think it's good to have a good balance. That's what I really learned. So obviously you are applying to a school, obviously they're looking at your you know, potential, professional potential and they want you to get hired by the best company. So then obviously you need to sell those points, but at the same time, so you need to balance that with <clears throat> you know, don't make a caricature out of yourself and really do express your authentic you know, strengths and uh, really come, let your personality shine. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would completely agree with that. Um, which share of last show. But what she said last about uh, letting your personality come through. And how you do that in an essay, for me it was. Uh, so there are two things, right? First is what is a business school really looking for? And if you look at, uh, at you know, most of us, if you have if you're going to Indian institutions, there's a correct answer to anything, right? So there's no there's no direction here of a correct answer, right? First is that recognition. Uh, what what we're really doing, and uh, and I think U.S. business schools will sacrifice fairness to the utmost degree for the best class that they can get, yeah. right? And that's the difference. In India, if you hit that bar, no matter no matter that 99.5 in CAC or 99.9 may may not make a difference in terms of outcomes, they will still prefer the 99.9 guy because it's an objective metric. And they say, look, we don't care if it's not an objective metric. We we are we put a lot of faith in our admissions committee, and whatever they decide, we'll do. So therefore, you're trying to make yourself as unique as possible without turning yourself into a caricature, which is I think very important. And how you do that is. Uh, you don't try to overemphasize points. You don't try to come across as a leader. You try to just tell a story uh, about yourself. And so it, for me, it was relatively easier as it made because I used to write fiction uh, in college and generally. So for me, it was not so much iterative. And in fact, when I iterated, sometimes it would become less better, I, I would feel. So, uh, but I don't think that's necessarily the right. You have to find your own mechanism. To, to be able to uh, write these essays. So I would suggest starting on time exactly. and then sharing it with others. But I think the second part is that you're not the one who's going to critique your essay sitting in your room, right? The person who's going to critique your essay is going to be reading through 20 essays uh, in a day. And so try and anticipate that mindset and read the essay from that viewpoint uh, if you're actually going to critique it at all. Uh, because you uh, are going to critique it knowing a lot about yourself and even a nuanced point there in your essay, which to you really hits home. You know, if you think it's, this is like a shot out of the park, this is something that really tells my story, I may not even understand it. We can do it in a speed read in 10 minutes. So that's the second part. Um, 
So I think I, I just feel like you have to put it out to them. Like you know, they should not be reading between the lines, and you know, trying to find out. Okay, this is okay. So this is you know, this is the one key takeaway after reading that entire paragraph. They should not keep you know uh, using their time to like second guess. Okay, this is what this person is trying to say. Just put it out there. What should really excite them about you? It really has one to be one test. Out there. One test that I thought was useful <coughs> is that once you write an essay where you really put your personality into it, you'll feel slightly. Embarrassed, and you're going to a third person. Yeah, it's really good. You know, you read it and you're like, really, am, am I sending this out? And I think that is a good test that you really put in something of yourself there. And I, what, what, what I heard that admissions committee is really like uh, is uh, is a little bit of personal story kind of thing. So this is not something that they're going to paste out. In fact, you sign a waiver form that this data is not going to be used uh, for any other purpose. So. Uh, don't be afraid of sharing personal details. So don't don't share too much of personal details. <laughs> like uh, your party in uh, Paris, Paris. So, but look, there's a very important concept in your lesson as well. So remember the document that you in Boston recently did. Uh, so we said same for products. If you're not embarrassed of the first version of the product you launch, that means you you've not you missed out something. And if you launch, maybe you launch a perfect product, if you launch two. So let's say it is and I'm and deliberately coming to Vishal after because his process was slightly different than I want to pay attention to. One is that if you want to not get selected, first go through all the essays on the internet. There are essays available, read all of them. <laughs> then do pattern matching. Oh wow, Kenya gets me to X or Australia gets me to Y. And the third process of not getting selected is to send it to 50. If you really want to make sure that no school admits you good one, do this. No one will ever admit it. Why? Because it looks like a kitchen. A bad taste Because basically what the kids is, we the buzzword there, this, that, and wow, this, this, we can never do that. They are interested in your story. Yeah. And uh, I know it might seem like, you know, I've finished some five years back, it might seem like somebody just fancy see Muslim who already has it. But then anyway, most people who get it, get it because they tell their story in a, in the best possible format. And that best possible format is the final last mile final But I see most reason, most people, most times people falter, and I know some people here who more than deserve to get it. And like somehow it didn't work out. One is that luck to do that. The other is that because you consulted with the wrong set of people. And second is that you consulted with the randomized set of people. So first five, first rule of thumb is you will should not consult with somebody who is directly not culturally experienced. Rule number one. And second is that you should not have somebody to it who doesn't know you reasonably enough. Because that person will somehow not appreciate the nuance. However, there's a catch. The person who sort of knows you well will also make something that implicit understanding. Oh wow, yeah, or oh, I know that you would have a large respect. But a reader might not. So that's, that's a good balance. Yeah. So my process of any, any of these things will be a combination of all the three plus what Vishal is just about. Look, most 85% of the work on the essay needs to be yours. If your first essay and your last essay are telling a completely different story, that means there's something not adding up, especially if you have 30 days to submission. That means it's a cross point. Uh, you know, the good day you'll get it or a bad day you won't. You don't want that situation. Right, that's what's happening.
reverse cycling should be the and the last cycling should somehow be made in an ideal case. It may not, but at least that should be the aspect. But yeah, I know your process was slightly different, and if you're comfortable, I would mind if you share your GMAX scores. So, um, uh, no, yes, so I agree with what everyone is saying, especially with keeping it authentic and all that. Um, the more approach was saying, and I agree, but I never really, no one who read my essays and I've done that year before, and uh, everyone who read my essays was very close to me as well. Um, I didn't know what touch back then, so. Um, but, um, so the HBS essay um, has changed, like I was saying, it's just one essay, no word limit, uh, but no like specified word limit, and it's just what more, like, basically they say that, okay, we have your resume, we have your recommendations, we have your grades, we have your extracurriculars, what more would you like us to know about you? Um, and I think that's an interesting question, you know, it's a lot easier when they like tell you, okay, um, what is your motivation to come to um, or, you know, whatever else, like, to be a lot more specific, this is completely up in the air, and it's like, okay, do what you want with it, and that's the what you want to know about it. A lot of what I want to know about is already in my recommendations, or in my um, extra curriculars, or it's, you know, in your resume. Um, so that was interesting, so what I did, um, I, I'd like to um, start for as well, for their version of the and so I, the, those are the that I did. So I start, started with the Stafford essays first, because I read it a few years earlier. But basically, before I started either of them, I just, one day I remember, I just had a little document in front of me, and I just put down all my thoughts, um, very generic, not specific to the questions, not specific to what really, um, anything, just why I wanted to do this, you know, why I wanted to go business school, do why I thought either of these schools could be a bit, big good fit for me. Uh, and then when I actually got down to writing the HBS essay, I picked up from that. You know, there was things that I had already um, written out about why I wanted to be there. I did, um, you know, a lot of people ask me, one of the most common questions I get asked is, should we go to a council or should we go to these submissions or companies or whatever? And I always say no. I think that completely takes away from your own voice or your own, you know, I say no harm in talking to other people and getting an idea, but I would. You know, I wouldn't let someone else dictate what you gave my essay. I think that was another reason I think everyone who read my essay was close to me. I, um, so I, when I started writing, my dad and my bossy, um, both of them are excellent writers for me, they both helped me, you know, say what I was trying to say in a much nicer way. Once I was done, you know, with draft that I was okay, I really like this, I think it's good. I started sending out to other resource friends of mine who stayed in inside value. Um, very often it would come back like, you know, completely criticized, which I like, you know, there's no point sending you people over and tell you what's really good, it's really great, and just because they're close to you. Everyone I said to, you know, had constructive feedback. Uh, I didn't always take it, you know, um, like I was saying, if you show it to too many people, and I can show it to one, five, six, but if you show it to too many people, then it's that Charles, if you might lose your own voice, or it might just come like a bunch of perspectives, you're just trying to keep everyone happy. I think it's important to know what you're trying to say, and then you know feedback might be relevant in like to a generic essay, but it takes away from your personality. What you're trying to say doesn't really um, make sense in a movement. So very often I would you know get feedback, which I would read the feedback. I'd be like, oh, this is really helpful. Go back to my essay and be like, oh wait, if I change this, it sort of takes away from what I'm trying to say. So I don't want to do that. Um, so I think it's important to know who, what, when to sort of take that feedback and when not to, and also. I agree. In terms of knowing not that oh I know better than that, but knowing in terms of what you're trying to really say. 
and in India, and then at the end, and there was like one or two people I said who had never read the essay before, more just in terms of proofreading and just generally what's your opinion, you know, what would you, if someone said this to you, what would you, you think? Um, so I structured my essay sort of like that. In terms of writing, what I ended up actually writing, I ended up writing um, why I wanted to do an MBA. Of course, I put in things about, um, you know, there are things you know that they are looking for. So in terms of leadership experience, so in terms of um, what about the experiences I had in college and also why I think I'm a good fit for HDS. Um, but I think also because I never, like I'm just a single lady, she never really planned for it. You know, I never, I never really planned to go to HDS. I never thought I'd even go to business school when I joined law school until my third or fourth year when I started thinking about it. Um, so nothing I'd done was like, oh, I went here so that I can apply or, or meet some box. I think that also helps keep some sort of, um, you know, just come across as authentic and like be pleased that when they're reading it, they're like, okay, he genuinely wants to be here, um, sort of thing. In terms of GMAT, so, um, so I gave my GMAT again when I was still in law school. So I used, um, and there was nowhere to really go for classes in Sony so I didn't know. Um, but I used something called the Economist GMAT tutor, uh, which I thought was excellent. You know, anyone who's asked me what should we do, I recommend that. Um, and I got a 710. I gave it once and I got a 710. I considered giving it again. Uh, I spoke to a few people who told me, and this was I given it in December, and my application was due there was still a decent amount of time. But everyone I sort of spoke to was if you've crossed that 7710 mark, um, giving it again, maybe you get a 740, but you'd rather take that time to spend on your essays. Um, <laughs> and I decided to do that. And it's a very personal choice. So, yeah. have all of you watched Alex's masterclass on GMAT? Why? Go and watch it today if you want to take the GMAT. You know, right? Yeah, so you see the way you can talk about it. And masterclass. Have you guys taken that or not? Yeah. And Mr. Shah's digital marketing masterclass. That is pre-enclosing for attending events. Because I don't like to repeat this. So, please make sure to do that. But in his masterclass, he talks about specific preparation as a company for GMAT. Like what we did do is we also taken the cat and almost got a full score. Right? So like you know, those kind of things are super useful. Let's let's make sure to do that. For GMAT here is the Statistically what I noticed is that low Indian GMAT score usually is not a good sign. I also tried when I was trying to have my score 780. Alec was also 780. But if you have a really compelling reason and if your story adds up and you're writing and complete your story. Even we suggest that you prioritize the story over the score if you go crossing the threshold. Yeah. Just to interject, I also for two plus two. Um, so I, I, I think uh, at least from the average of what you see, I think they tend to be a little more lenient in terms of your score just from the perspective. And I don't know how true this is, um, but I, I mean, I came from five years law school. I have not touched a math book thing. Till I decided, okay, I want to get GMAT. My English percentile in the GMAT was 96 percentile, and my math percentile was 64 or 66 or something. And that, uh, because the English percentile was so high, my, I crossed the 700. Um, but I think, you know, like, I, I don't know, I'd like to leave the fact that you come from law school. But I've spoken to a couple of people um, right before who had uh, someone from Cambridge who had done law and then gone to HS as well, and they had a, I think, 720. And um, his understanding also seemed to be that, you know, they sort of understand the fact that, okay, you haven't done this five years. I don't know how true that is, you know, 
for me already. But then, but then oh, you know, your demand, just just yeah. your demand. Yeah, and yeah. that's always the first step. That's always the first step, uh, and everything else will will you will have to do in plan out anyway. So I just look at maximizing your score. Uh, because I mean, for me, the problem was that I had to maximize it. I had a particularly horrible uh, CGPA uh, in, my, in my undergrad for, for the aforementioned reasons. Right? I did not, I, I did well in classes that I liked. I did not sort of uh, want to do certain classes. It's even at that. But the thing is that then I was very concerned right? that I have to get my GMAT and I have to balance out my, uh, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my, my undergrad CGPA. But then, and I don't, and I don't agree at all actually with uh, not, not talking to a consultant. Um, I think what they do bring to the table, and, and a lot of them you can do free consultations with. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, and I think what they do bring to the table is someone who understands, who has seen so many applications, giving you advice from the vantage point of someone who doesn't know. And as Utkarsh actually pointed out, I think you need to have people in different buckets giving you advice. You need people who are close to you giving you advice, and you need that third person also who knows, who has read so many applications that he knows the mindset of the person who reviews, right? Because he's seen so many succeed and fail. So if you find yourself, and, and that's why that's why I use uh, an admissions consultant, to actually help me, uh, give me feedback, uh, and tell me, uh, because because uh, from my college, all of them, all of the people that I knew who were in the schools that I was targeting, were either like two plus two geniuses like Abhilasha, or they had, you know, they had a, you know, MBB plus some something else as a background. I mean, I would say 90% of them, right? Yeah, so sure. mine was very, very different. So I wanted to know how my profile stacks up and mm -hmm. what else can, can I do to really uh, make my case as compelling for an MBA as anyone else. So for me, that process helped. Uh, and, and the admissions consultant was the one who told me that I, I was worried. I said, I have a 770, but uh, I didn't sleep well that night. What if I get a 780 or a, perhaps a 970? It doesn't matter. Because for them, it's a very absurd question. We will have you wetted to an alarm, okay? So don't waste your time, you know, with other people. We'll find people from colleges who will look at your application. And if you're going for a consultant, go for it. Go for a person like a Stacey plan. Right? Where we know that whatever you're doing, that's great. What I don't want you to do is to spend time in between. And neither there nor an alarm. So that is again injury. Anything which is injury should be avoided for your application itself. So in any time, application, application, send a reviewer and actually mess it up. And some people, I know one person specifically who before the day of that person's interview was something ridiculous because that person was trying to include stuff that uh, the person you know, was trying to buy the So, you know, one, one needs to sort of also keep that kind of perspective in mind. Right. But I'm not sorry, you know, I spoke to, before I started, when I first spoke to anyone once, I did one of these free consultations mm -hmm. with one of the Counselors, and I think that really helped in terms of understanding what really meant to write an essay for an MBA. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely recommend like us talking more about in terms of giving like, someone else dictate your essay or your interview. Um, but, yeah, definitely, you know, I mean, these guys have been doing it for so many years, they know exactly, they've seen people get in or get in. They might not be able to predict, but they know what goes into the essay and what, you know, what are certain boxes that, you know, you should be. Who talk to this anyone? Talk to people who are experienced or have, you know, have 
being vetted or you know one of the animals say directly to someone. That's it. Yeah. As he said, they put you in the right mindset. Yeah. But then figuring out the application should be your own data. So if you try to make that for the learning theory, then you're asking for a so one perspective there is, uh, so I have a friend who was in a really similar situation. She just got into CCR after she left the consultant. Because the, uh, this was uh, not from my idea. But it was just somebody who's, who the consultant was sort of doing a half-assed job and I found like literally, but I say I was like, hey, you shouldn't submit this because it just doesn't sound like a person. It sounds like a caricature because you like, like put in all the buzzwords which is making more sense. I would also add it's helpful to talk to people from the schools to understand what they want. So how in particular had an institution ran admissions, like admissions record or admissions whose name was D. Leopold. Everyone knew that D had a certain identity which had shifted. So now it's no longer run by D. I'm telling you the new person is, but he's a very different person. So, and I know that for a fact that that has shifted what they're doing. Um, they also treat uh, international admissions differently from US admissions. There's a, there's a certain pattern at work in place. So if you talk to an American, their experience will be very different to, from talking to an Indian. Um, I also, which is why I think admissions events are like very relevant to, I have not attended one. But I, I, I mean, I know how it's doing one, speaking at one on July 19th. Um, so I know HBS is doing an event there. And that's a good idea because they will also be able to sort of, they really hit the notes on what the school stands for today. Um, I know for a fact that it's even shifted from the time I applied. Uh, because D they was like, no, we ran admissions a certain way. And then once they moved out, it was like a different admissions. So, being aware of that, even speaking to albums of people from those schools is really helpful. Um, and they're often very forthcoming. They'll tell you exactly what they're looking for. Uh, Shreya, and this was a question for all of you. How do you approach alums? Because I'm sure like, all of us get a lot of questions or reviews to review an essay, give advice, or it's humanly not possible to respond to it. So what's the, what are the ones that end up getting responses, or how do you all think? So, anyone. Anyone. so uh, for me, because I really realized it was a key part for Elvis for me after I spoke to uh, the Elvis. Uh, so when I came back, I reached out on LinkedIn to somebody uh, from my school. Uh, because from Stephen, somehow, you know, in the current batch books, somebody from Elvis and uh, yeah. So I think what really helps is if you have somebody from your own college, your school, your company, establish a common connection. Uh, because you know, it's not only just talking to them or reviewing, but at the end of the day, you also want them to maybe uh, send a very short recommendation note for you to the admissions committee. There has to be some linkage, you know. You can't just expect a completely third party person uh, to be vouching for you, but on what basis? So it's always good to have a common link. Uh, and then if you reach out, I just found it was amazing because he actually took out time. He was in India at the moment uh, for a uh, he was taking a break and he actually came to meet me in a coffee shop. He's BCG consultant, worked on a radio campaign, and also he's very much into consulting. So he actually did a proper consulting kind of a case, in case kind of a thing with me. And he sat down with me for two hours in a coffee shop and was like, okay, what, how can we make this work better and everything like that. I think they're generally very helpful. Just try to have a good link. Just don't reach out to somebody very randomly. Maybe that can work, but. I don't think it will be that fruitful to both the parties. I'll give a slightly flipped answer because it's been many years since I applied uh, um, 
I well, I always like I used to go to school. So yes, you know, if you're from the school that we went to, I would generally give the first response. Having said that, if you're a rude person who doesn't respect my time, I'm not going to give you the second response. Uh, I don't care if you're from my school. I, by the way, I have had enough people reach out who are disrespectful of my time. You can't like send me a vague note and if I tell you send me an email, not send me an email and then come back a month later and say my deadline is tomorrow, can you review this today? That's utterly disrespectful and it's happened enough times earlier I started off as being the golden like person of like I would review any email or that came in. So I reviewed like tons of applications but after a while I was like and, you know, um, you know, I don't care if you're from IT really, but like if you cannot like respect my time, then you are not gonna get a response. And this is very common. The second is please don't ask generic questions. If you could have researched this on Google, don't ask me. Yeah. Right? Like that's just the rule of thumb. Anything that's available on it, you need to know. If uh, you do not, then you are unprepared. You probably will not get it. So those people I just don't respond to. I also realize over time it's like I don't have that much time, so I can't respond to you. If you just ask me like which is the website for application. I'm not Google. There, there are enough people yeah, who ask the very generic questions and or will not follow up on time. Don't have the courtesy to thank you. I'm not expecting you to like be very grateful to me, but I expect you to be like show courtesy. Um, so that is there is there. This is very clear. Especially if you send out multiple multiple requests, I've seen people like they mix up names. You're writing to me, you better get one name right, right? Like that's the basic gold standard of like people. <laughs> I have actually randomly helped people who I didn't know at all. Uh, and that came from a place of, does this person sound like a genuine, authentic person who's asking me a pointed question? And, um, you know, in fact, I had somebody who reached, and I think now I realize it's probably point that person to you, Michelle, because that person had a law school background and was asking me about something, and I was like, hey, I can get you this far, but like, I don't, I'm not a lawyer myself. Um, but I think, like, so pointed question helps. Uh, realize how much I will do for you without having a prior connection. I will not sit and read your first draft. I will only read and write the first draft of a very dear friend. Uh, so those are just like, just understand, be focused on your question. Uh, just be a nice person to read with. Uh, and I can't stress how painful it can be, like people who just go radio silent or send you something one day before deadline. I would do that for like maybe three people in this world and like clearly that was it. And that isn't a random LinkedIn. It's not. And, but I mean, to be fair, the random LinkedIn does work. I keep, I check my LinkedIn regularly. I do sometimes. But it just depends on how authentic it is. But it needs to be crafted a certain Exactly. Way. You need to make it easy for the other person to respond. Yeah. You know, because the person wants to, like when is the person checking? Yeah. Like if a person is busy then between death, between times of travel between these you want to make it so simple for in order to respond that they want it. Yeah. And in the same level they sort of respect you. That yeah. person has done the basic amount of work. I will respect and reply to this person. And the other thing is thank you. Please send a thank, sincere thank you request. You'll be surprised how few people do it and you'll be surprised at how everyone remembers it. Yeah. If you forget a thank you, you'll miss an opportunity. Thank you, thank you, no history, people can tell. Especially people get a lot of thank you notes, can tell which is a sincere thank you note, and which is a thank you note that you send to the checkbox, so I send the thank you note. And this is only, I know most of you will get in your job schools, business schools, and otherwise. Please make this a habit. Send sincere thank you notes, 
it will be, it's a nice thing to do, but it will also help you professionally a lot. Right? Now that with this antidote, let's come to the end. So how is it going to be? How do you know that works? Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm not sure about the answer to the future, but um, it was exactly half an hour. So when I got the mail, um, they they didn't have any options for Skype or doing it in Bombay or doing it in India or anything like that. Um, and at that time, I didn't the dates. So I exam dates worked out, and I thought my main middle exams. So I usually start googling, um, oh you know, can I do it on Skype and stuff like that. I spoke to a few people. Um, as well, and then everyone sort of recommends that oh, if you can go there, they do try doing it on my Skype, and um, you know, so whatever day or two later, my exam dates came, and it actually happened to be in the period between like a study period, study leave. So I had a few days that I could actually go there. Um, and when I was thinking about it, when I was talking to people about it, the sort of understanding I had was that it's exactly half an hour long, um, and this was to add 30 minutes out in the middle of the hour, so. And they stop me. Um, if it's or if you're doing it on site, if your internet is not working really well that day. Um, also, what's interesting as to about HBS is that within 24 hours of your interview, they make you write a reflection. Um, and what a couple of people told me that I thought made no sense is that if you're doing it on Skype, your reflection is going to be that much harder um, as well. And since I had that opportunity to go there and study, I was obviously very keen. Um, so I did actually end up going there for my interview. They had a lot of, um, and by then I connected a couple of, you know, common friends and whatever. I did. One or two people, um, one or two people I connected with was giving the interview. So I happened to meet them. So one of my seniors from school um, connected me to a professor at HBS also, who I met the day before my interview, who was extremely helpful. Um, so you know, I think. Going there definitely made a big difference. In those two days I was there seeing the campus, meeting that professor, whatever, meeting a couple of other kids who were also left there, it really made a big difference in um, you know, how I approached the interview. Um, for the two plus two, interview is slightly different because they don't really have too much to ask you about uh, in terms of work experience or you know, growth after you've graduated or whatever, because you're still in. College at the time, so they, they had a printed copy of my essay and a printed copy of my resume in front of them. And um, you know, I think it also really comes down to luck. But the first question they asked me about was about the research center, which I spent you know, four years. One of the things we started over there was this program for Tibetan refugees, this entrepreneurship development program. And um, they asked me about that. And um, you know, again, I think one thing that really helped over there was that. I, I, mean, I hadn't been prepared for that question and the lot of theirs I didn't prepare for, but they asked me, oh, tell us some of the entrepreneurs you worked with. And one thing we do at the centre is we stay in touch because I had this thing called the Legal Entrepreneurship Cell, where we help entrepreneurs with legal work, um, legal research um, for free. And so for the Twitter Entrepreneurship Development Program, I was constantly in touch with all the entrepreneurs, helping them with you know legal issues along the way. So immediately as soon as they asked me, I was like, oh, you know, Absolutely, touch this person, this person, this is what they're doing, this is how I can, all of that. So, I think the fact that you know it wasn't something randomly edited, but something that I've actually done. And because anything, you know, a lot of people have noticed on their resume, like things, and I asked them about it, like, oh, you know, we did this one summer. Um, I think that would definitely put them off. This was something I've been a part of genuinely for many years. Um, so, when I start speaking about it, um, you know, it comes across genuine. Second thing that I thought, uh, which you know, a couple of people told me as well was that 
you only have half an hour and you don't want to go on about one question. So even though there'll be a question where you have loads of things to say, try focusing on what you think is the most key things and then giving them an opportunity to ask you something else. Um, and also, I mean, I think by, and again, I don't know what this is by, but by directing your answers in a certain way, their follow-up questions will also tend to be about a certain topic, and I thought that was very helpful. You know, knowing exactly how I want it, but not that you can prepare for it, but based on the question, just knowing, okay, this is the part to end, because then they're going to follow up. You don't want them to feel like you're the only person talking, and then are giving an opportunity to ask you a question. I just want to wrap up the HBS interview piece because I think a lot of the things are similar. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice anyone gave me was preparing answers on cue cards, which were like really small. It forces you to have a lot of brevity. Like you just have so much time. You can only write so much, you can only speak so much. Uh, another thing because it's a 30 minute interview that a lot of people said it's, it's a 7 into 3 pattern or something like that. Each, they'll, they'll, they'll cover 6 to 7 themes. And within each theme, they will go like two to three levels deep. So in my case, like they'd be like, um, I, I interned at ITCA, I'd written about that. Um, so they would say, so tell us about it. How did you react to that and that? So there is a certain, it's not just a question and then jump into another question. They had two to three levels of like trying to verify their story adds up. And then they moved to another theme. So you have between like, you know, depending on how, from to our in your responses as well as how it's trying out. I think they typically cover four to seven themes and go two to three levels deep. Uh, and that was just a helpful recognition. It forced me, like the cue card is one of the best pieces of advice anyone ever gave me. And also I did it over Skype. So for those of you who do it uh, via Skype or something like that, make sure you have an amazing internet connection. I did it out of the uh, senior dean's office at IIT. Because I knew anywhere else the internet connection is going to be patchy. Uh, so I did it through that. Uh, and uh, prepare doing interviews via Skype or like do it because it's a very different experience. You, it is a bit weird to be able to see like people in a different way. So I've seen a lot of people get thrown. They don't know where to look. <laughs> no, there's a camera look there. Like don't look in other directions. Uh, so, depending on whatever your medium is, make sure you practice that medium well. Interest, we come back to Alec and the team. So, in the NBS, we have video interviews. Yeah. One component and the other is in person. So, yeah, that's very true. Like, when I look at myself, I'm just, oh my god, like, you know, it's so huge and I have to, like, really just talk to myself. So, yeah, that's, that can happen. So, you prepare for everything. Yeah, which is just. How do Sorry? Like any advice for you? Uh, interview, also, LBS is very different, I would say. Uh, we have one video interview, actually two video interviews. One is a set question for which you get to prepare and then just say it out like a speech. Um, and the other, any random question can just come online. Uh, so that happens first and kind of really prepare you for the in-person uh, interview to come. I think for me, I really prepared quite a lot, which wasn't even required, now I feel. Uh, but I just like went online and I saw like the top 20, 30, you know, normal typical HR questions. They don't have to be MBA, but everything about your strengths, your weaknesses, your background, why do you want to do what you want to do. These are general questions everybody should know for any interview, I feel. So I really like sat down, I read a document of like 30 questions and answers, and I really did a lot, which I think was not very required. 
Because I was told that the Elvis interview is very conversational, which I really love because it's with an alum, and you know they just really. I think Ed Sheeran is more with an alum, right? Yeah, it's the alum. And the interviews can go both ways. Both ways, okay. I I don't know, but I I've heard generally very good things about Elvis interviews, and it really was like that. He was very chill. This person he made you feel very comfortable, and I think the general questions would be uh, really just talk about your journey, talk me through your CV, or uh, what are you doing, and then you know why do you want to do MBA and why LBS specifically, and what you want to do later on. So again, it's a lot about storytelling, really knowing your story, being very authentic. I think they really want to check authenticity as well, and just personality exchange. It's very conversational. There's a case study as well which happens in LBS. That I did not prepare for it because it's not like a consulting piece. It's a very, very quick five minute. They give you a topic, and you just have to talk about it. Turned out it was AI for me, something related to that. And he was very, very sweet. Like he gave me the the uh, choice. You can choose which topic you want. So it was nice, but mine went on for about two hours. So I think with Alums it, it probably goes on in a coffee shop. So it was very relaxed. Yeah. So mine was an Alum interview as well. Uh, but before that, uh, so the person he was talking about was very thrown off. That was me. He really doesn't want you to go to an assignment. <laughs> no, but on a serious note, uh, that was not because of an assignment, but because I talked to too many people. I talked to too many people with the standard questions. So as she said, there are some standard questions, right? And I think uh, now, if I would prepare for it today, what I would do is I would just write it down. Because normally I can just you know you can just talk to people. So why 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 like why prepare speaking it um, unless you know you're doing walks with people and don't do walks with people you know I don't I didn't find that that helpful you know because because I knew that it was so weird uh, talking to them um, and just like answering these questions as if they did not know me at all. So I had to turn off the video because that really put me off. Like I did it with Aziz once and it was like what what am I doing? And that was too much knowledge about what the thing. I think a certain yeah. degree of separation helps. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, for me again, it was a conversation. Uh, Adam, Adam was just, just uh, very friendly, yeah. but he didn't try to throw me off because he really attacked me in the first three minutes. They tried to do that sometimes. And then was gauging my response to it. So how how balanced it was, whether I was empathizing with what the interviewer was saying. And, and in my case, the interviewer uh, spoke more than me towards the end, uh, and was talking about their own uh, sort of story, and it lasted more than an hour. So I got a good feeling towards the end that okay, the interview has gone well. Um, and I think that was because you know, Utkarsh actually and me was one day before he said, just forget all of this like uh, stuff. I think you need time to forget. So if you've done all that preparation, uh, let it settle. In. Don't do all that preparation. This is why you shouldn't do things last minute. And I'm speaking from experience. Uh, just uh, forgetting it became a very big challenge, right? Because you've gone into this structured thinking process about every question, but that's not how conversations work. Yeah. Um, and then just like have a good conversation with someone, and that person is trying to test: Is that, and especially if it's an alum, um, I would think the person is trying to test: Is this person a good representative of my community? Uh, does this person belong in my community? Can they can they do well in my community? And for that, you know, it's important to have a good and interesting conversation with that person. So approach it from that lens, um, and, and, and don't don't uh, be afraid of saying I don't know. I mean, that's a standard advice. If they ask me a question where I did not feel like I have enough knowledge to answer, I would just say that I don't think uh, I know that much about it, but I take a crack at it. Yeah.
you come and then you just sit down. I mean, I'm going to come to the house now, at least. So you're sitting down with many other people who are also there for interview. Uh, everyone's obviously very nervous. And then uh, when it's your start, seven or eight, I think eight people, uh, they call you up. And then we're all sitting up for like 10 minutes. And then one by one, like an interviewer comes out and like calls one person in. And so then you're waiting to be called, which adds to like the I think. Um, and then I had um, two, so usually it's just one person asking questions. Uh, in my room, there were two people, but one person asking questions, and the other person was just sitting there making notes. Um, which is, yeah, it's a little bit That happened to me in my undergrad, though. Yeah. That happened in Steve. Yeah, so that was really So it was obviously they called me for the IIC news, I was doing that to people, I felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, writing. Yeah, so Lee Leopold took my uh, and then she had someone else taking notes and she kept asking questions and honestly I couldn't, I got out of the interview and I remember I called my parents and they were like, oh, how did I go? And I was like, I have no idea. They didn't have any indication. They were completely like, you know, and they didn't smile and nothing, nothing changed. They were just asking me questions uh, one by one and then, you know, I was in the middle of an answer. They were like, okay, thanks for time. Time's up. Thank you for coming. And that was, that was it, you know, so I had absolutely no idea. I think it's really important that you don't let anyone that throw you off, you know. Um, because they, they are obviously trying to throw you off, see who does well under high pressure situations, who's going to do well. Um, I mean, obviously, it's very one on one interview versus like, sitting in a class of 100 people and trying to talk in your case, I mean, that's very different. But they did say in the opener that, you know, I mean, they're trying to see how people react under different situations, um, how well you can like, speak, how well you can put across your ideas. Um, you know, one of the things the professor who I met today before I told me was that, you know, a lot of people have excellent ideas, great work, you know, great experience in college, great experience, all of that. Uh, but when it, when it comes to someone asking them a question, they get lost in trying to figure out how to put it across. And then that puts the interviewers off of it. Because then they believe that, okay, in a classroom situation where you're trying to explain, you're going to go on a whole different tangent as opposed to just um, getting to the point, which is really important for engineers. Um, so I thought that if something would keep going to One thing specifically for HPS, I saw this with one of my best friends who applied a couple of years after me, was uh, the interview throws you off. Um, she was convinced she's not getting in, and you also have a 24 hour time bound thing to write a reflection. You have to sit and write it. Like you can't go into a zone where like this is over, my application is over, and she was in that zone. Um, and you know, she then took a step back. A lot of people counseled her to be like, "You never know how an interview is gone, especially with HBS. You have to write the reflection." Um, and she got it. So, like in general, just like you know, you could think it's gone disastrously. The reflection is a necessary part of the process. You can't just be like, "This is gone disastrously." Back to the show. Uh, it's just worth remembering. Have your like, you know, usually for anyone who's done a good application, have four or five people who are really closely championing it. So like even when her application started going, like where she felt like the interview didn't go well, she knew she had to call me, she knew she had to call her elder brother, who was a blue tagum, and we and she knew we could that you know we could give her judicious advice. So there's a broader pool that like works with you, but there are two to three core people who can also take you up through the emotional ups and downs, uh, which is pretty critical as well. So these three are going to start school. So just Habilash about like after the year. And I'll wait in a little bit. So um, so my uh, situation was very interesting because I like said was diversifying. I decided that I wanted to uh, I spent a year doing innovation consulting um, for a year after that and I wanted to diversify the life sciences. Um, very hard. 
it's a, it's a very niche area, very difficult to get it. It was serendipity. There was somebody I knew who was running a company whose co-founder was based in Cambridge and uh, he wanted, he was there, this was a completely tech science company who were trying to make their first business higher. Uh, very much driven by uh, the fact that I was, I had a, what was interesting for me was that I had to interview with the board because I was interviewing for a BB level position so the board had to sign off on my uh, hire. Um, street cred, like HBS just gave me street cred to be in that conversation. The person, one of the board members who was interviewing me was somebody who knew the professor who taught the life sciences course I had by the way, these both networks are very incestuous. Yeah. I've already met like six, he knew my, like in the year I did consulting, his partner's wife. Like, it was it's a very incestuous thing, but it gave me street credit, it gave me the language. Uh, especially if you, if like me, you were trying to make a difficult switch. So incestuous that one of them is my senior, one of the persons that you have. Yeah, and like, like a lot of this is, and this is like in this case, like even this is a board member is a 50 year old person who has no connection with me, but he has a common connection with somebody we know, right? Um, second, I think this is worth thinking about if you're considering an international MBA is think about the whether how married you are to the, to the idea of being in the US. Immigration's changed a lot. In my case, it didn't matter. I always wanted to be in India, and I wanted my current role is amazing because I split time between India and the US. Uh, but I know for a fact, immigration's changed. If your dream is to be in the US, I, I can talk in more length and what other hacks to try. But it is not a gallery Right? I know for a fact, HBS Pro, I my the batch that just graduated has had 15 people proactively make the decision to move back. Uh, because immigration can throw your career off track. Uh, if you don't get the visa, you keep get stuck. In the first two, three years after your MBA, you might be just chasing the immigration bandwagon and people's career is taking off. Uh, so that's just my two cents. I know a friend who's really badly stuck in post HBS, just with immigration, just not worked out. And not even like a yes and no, he's been stuck. And it's been difficult. Uh, and he really wanted to be. So it's kind of very difficult to kind of run. But yeah, I mean, this is just like think through that thing. Uh, it is a very real thing. Uh, and uh, if you're like me, I'm like, I, this is my dream situation that I can split time between Boston and Delhi. But if you really want to live in the US, you need to start thinking about clever hacks. Do an MSMBA, gives you a STEM visa, gives you like some more time. But by and large, uh, yes, immigration is a very real one if you're doing an US MBA and if you really want to live in the US. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a smooth sailing idea. Yeah, so uh, when I finished this week on fire and I told you I went to India, so because I'd done a lot of the experiments before, like debating, acting, each for India, young India tradition, so my goal coming out of the environment and landscape just around the time of graduation. Um, my goal was to whatever I do, I want to do it for some time. So after graduate, I mean the one company that I started where you're all sitting right now, one company where I'm at, and where I've been, and see it transform from the stock price which was then and where it is now. And for me, it has been a very precious learning. That is not how usually post MBA careers go. Usually people switch around a lot because the expectation that you have after an MBA uh, can be very different from what the real working life is. But for me, I, it was, I did not want to jump around after because I had done whatever I wanted to do. At, at a very young age, at a rapid pace in college now. Right? 
And now, like, like uh, I am, I am where I want to be. But in terms of reflection of the five, the things that you make to it are uh, meaningful bonds. People that you help. Right? I, I, I don't mean the number of people who help me. I mean how many people I would like and you'll be able to help from that or whatever. Like, you know, people in shape or form. And that's pretty useful. And what is that? You know, you should go through some cycles of ups, downs. It is usually not a hobby for anyone. That everything, you know, basically is a bunch of roses and gold stuff. Usually, that's not a real story. So, uh, even after that, you know, the biggest advantage is that financially, if you, you know, if you strike well, it, it's helpful. Like, if your worst case scenario yeah. is still better than most people. So that is today at least the reality. And it's not insulated. Especially if you go to an elite program, no matter how much you fall, and this until a tragedy performs, you do fine. You probably do very well. Right? But the question is that you usually measure yourself with your classmates. Right? The NP article. It's a lot like when you go to your university, so how did I do? No matter how you do this, you don't compare yourself with Einstein. So that time you will see that some people will have killed it, some people will be somewhere find somebody, some people have real tragedies and they hold have it and some people will say. But you just have a very, very, very wide spectrum. It is truly global. So for me that has been the most interesting aspect of it. Just seeing so many different people do so many different things and going through all kinds of highs and lows, some the Prime Minister of Georgia, like all these kinds of things, the fun stuff and the richness. <laughs> So, but yeah, you know, the But again, yeah, my goal is for my next five years, how many people can I tangibly help? Right? That I can do my mission, which is <coughs> help interesting people do interesting things. So, you have some sort of mission, pre MBA, post MBA, during MBA. Don't go, don't go without product value. Yeah. Like, you don't need to go to MBA. You need to have more macro. Okay, so I'm going to stop recording now.